we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms where I give you a heads up about upcoming shows and which date and time they will be aired. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo Pelliser. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my true believer stories that have collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStoryTime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? I'm doing good. Hot. You can tell I've got a tank top on. Oh, at the podcast people can't, but yes, it's um, definitely South Florida weather. And uh, believe it or not, we've actually gone through four days without rain. I know a lot of people think, huh? But here in South Florida, where we've been having an unusually wet summer, uh, even it's this is considered the rainy season. So we usually do have like the the thunderstorms in the afternoons. This is the subtropics, and this is the fourth day without rain. Sometimes it's a good thing because it lets things dry out. But as you know, when you've got about a hundred and something uh, young trees out there, you're like thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to start watering these things, which is a lot of work. Even though I've got a pump out there, it's still, that's, that's a lot of work. So yeah, <laughs> yes, the woes of a wimpy farmer. <laughs> but anyway, guys, let me get into... The really important stuff which is who the guest is today and i know you guys are gonna be really excited when i tell you who is here this is a gentleman 
by the name of Stephen Myers. Now, Stephen, um, he is the founder of the nonprofit organization called the Pharaoh's Pump Foundation, which I am going to have the link on the credits of the show, but the website is www.thepump.org. Now, the foundation's purpose is the research and development of technologies used to build and operate the Great Pyramid as intended by the original builders. Now, the foundation, headed by Mr. Myers, is conducting research and experimentation to help understand the mysteries of how the Great Pyramid was built and why. Our goal is to further the understanding and utilization of the ancient technology related to the Great Pyramid's construction and purpose. Now, he is... He says he's an outspoken critic of Egyptology as well as the Orion Correlation Theory. He's written uh, two books. They're titled Lost Technologies of the Great Pyramid. And I, I'm not sure what the title is in the second one. We'll ask him about that. But anyway, uh, how are you doing today, Stephen? Wonderful. Thank you for having me on the show. On the contrary, it is my pleasure to have you on. And Stephen, I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests. How did you get interested in this field? Well, I have a very technical background uh, with electronics. I have the uh, commercial uh, FCC radio telephone license. I'm an amateur radio operator, and I have some other uh, technical uh, degrees and uh, certifications. But I've always been interested in history. Okay. And uh, so I'm kind of interested in the technological aspect of history. Like in World War II, I wasn't interested in the politics or the generals, I was more interested in the airplanes and the tanks and the battleships. Mm -hmm. So uh, if a person's interested in history and also technology, then uh, their focus will uh, ultimately be on the Great Pyramid. It's a 45-story skyscraper that was uh, built in ancient times, so it exhibits a lot of high technology. And I was interested in how it was built, not, you know, like who the leader was or what language they spoke, their the hieroglyphs or religion or gods or any of that. Mm -hmm. I was interested in how, how the Great Pyramid was assembled and why they would do such a thing. So uh, I, uh, I got interested in that and, you know, did a, did a whole bunch of research and it was at first just a hobby, but now it's become a life quest. Okay, which that, you we always everybody always originally thought of the pyramid, which of course this was the explanation put out by people in the field Egyptologists that it was a tomb, and then I, lately it's become less of known as that. Was there, did you originally believe, like, the, besides wondering how they built it, did you always believe first it was a tomb and then you changed your mind, or did you over question it from the beginning? Well, uh, I, uh, just like everybody, you know, you watch the TV documentaries, that's put up psychology, but you also uh, go down to the library. This is back before the internet. Yes. So you go down to the library and you check out. You know, books about the Great Pyramid, and most of them back then were written by Egyptologists. Mm -hmm. And they tell the story of the big ramp that had to be bigger than the Great Pyramid itself. And these uh, workers that must have had strong back muscles dragging these stones, you know, up this ramp. Okay, so that's, that's nice. You know, that's an explanation. Mm -hmm. So I said, 
I said, well, all I got to do to believe that is just see the demonstrations that uh, substantiate their explanation. You know, the workers did this all day long and everything else. Certainly, there would be a demonstration that the science of Egyptology, which is about 200 years old, Mm -hmm. uh, that science, you know, you just find out about, but guess what I found out? Couldn't be done the way they the way they said it. Yeah, I found out that they say working people could do this all day long. Oh God! But uh, Egyptologists can't do it. Egyptology cannot demonstrate how they say it was done. They can't. Uh, the largest stones are seventy tons. Egyptology, the entire science, has never moved a seventy-ton payload one inch, the way they say it was done. And wouldn't Isn't any of these stones have? To, uh, well, I, I, I sometimes, and I'm not no technical. I have no engineering background, knowledge whatsoever. In other words, I'm a lay person totally, and I look at that, and because I understand, even some of these stones were transported there. There, you know, it wasn't like besides the fact of how they built this, uh, and then transported such heavy, heavy stones, and it boggles the mind. It's like. How did they do that with sand? I mean, it's like it, it, you you try to wrap your head around how they did it, and also the precision the precision of the way these things were fitted. Uh, yes. And yes. But I I, I it's it, I I can understand, and I understand what you're saying. It's great to say it, but there's no proof to back up the the how. How did they do that? Right. It's almost like someone saying, well, cows jumped over the moon. Uh -huh. You can read about it, and, and we'll just tell you that cows jumped over the moon. Well, everyone would say, okay, go ahead and show me. Right. But Egyptologists tell their story, but they can't show you. The precision stone cutting, that's very precise, mm -hmm. they say was done using hand tools. But it's, it's never been demonstrated because uh, they're... Their explanation is wrong, but they still, even here in the 21st century, they still write books that have that same explanation of stone cutting uh, done using hand tools. Well, right. I uh, ultimately rejected Egyptology, I mean, because their explanations are worthless and right. also incorrect, and uh, read alternative books about the Great Pyramid. It was like a Death Star or it uh, pointed us to uh, stars to tell us something, or uh, all of this other stuff, that it was a beacon for the aliens, you know, and right, all Right, yes, of I that. heard of that theory also. Yeah, and uh, the death, and it was a death ray or something like that. But uh, I read this privately published book called Pharaoh's Pump by a guy named Edward Kunkel, and he originated the idea that the Great Pyramid was built using water locks, like those in the Panama Canal or the Erie Canal, and these water locks effortlessly were able to move stones that were on barges from the Nile River all the way up to the building site. So uh, wow. that book was originally published back in 1962. I'm surprised... I've never heard of that. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, it's been a whole generation, even longer, of uh, that the idea originally became available. 
but a lot of people haven't heard about it. But I don't know if you've watched some of our video series on our website. Mm-hmm. We have an entire video series people can watch for free about how the Great Pyramid was assembled using these water locks and barges. And these stones moved up these water locks, you know, uh, like steps, you know, if you will, like in the Panama Canal, and then all the way up to the building site. So it's uh, it's quite so a... So what do you think they did? ...video series. What you're saying is what they mm-hmm. kind of deviate... Well, basically, they used the, the Nile, is what you're saying. Uh, and what do they build, like canals or just for that purpose, and then they disassembled it once the pyramid was built, or... And I know sometimes rivers, they, they shift their course a little bit. I don't know if it was any closer than it is now. I'm, I'm not sure what the geography is between the Nile and where the pyramids are. Um, or let me ask you, what, what was what is the purpose? Was it just because a <laughs> symbolic for the Egyptian people? Just, you know, just something that was not necessarily a tomb is what I mean. No, I don't think it was a tomb, but but getting back to how it was built, the video series on our website, they can just go to thepump.org and watch the entire thing for free, of course. Okay. And uh, it describes how every stone was set in place, including the capstone and the heaviest stones and all of that. So, uh, But we think that the Great Pyramid wasn't just a pile of rocks, if you will, to house somebody's carcass, right. or that it was built to symbolically tell us something, like that they knew pie or whatever, uh, you know, or to tell us some esoteric knowledge that didn't help us at all. Right. We think that the Great Pyramid was infrastructure for the civilization that built it, that it was built at a high cost, of course. Yes. But that high cost was a huge investment that paid off uh, in a tangible way. So we think that the Great Pyramid was an active machine, okay. and that machine was a water pump. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that is, and of course, to uh, a civilization that is, you know, that is so dependent on water. In other words, they they were surrounded by desert. This must have been yes. because I tell everybody, you know, <clears throat> we get to think of you're going to pull all this manpower away from production of whether it's agriculture or anything else that that civilization needs to stay afloat. If you're pulling all this manpower away from these duties, you must have needed them to do something very important because yes. you're sacrificing them something else that maybe that they would need just to have them work. Right. Uh, I appreciate that. The, the big construction project had a big return on investment, just like a hydroelectric dam, like the Hoover Dam over there by Las Vegas. You know, it was a big construction project, but it, it served a purpose, and that purpose was actually flood control, but also the production of electricity. So all of that big dam oh, did was make wow. make electrons go through a wire, but that that uh, electricity is used for a whole bunch of purposes, and we think that the pumped water had a whole bunch of purposes as well. So it provided a huge 
for uh, building that uh, big project. Do you think that that electricity that, you know, what you're describing is the use of electricity and it's powered by water. Do you think that that's how they were able to do the work inside the pyramid where normally there was no lighting? There was no interior lighting that we know of. Is that how they lighted yeah. their way in there? Well, I think that the ancient people in the Valley of the Nile were geniuses and that they had a lot of different types of high technology, including the Baghdad battery, which mm -hmm. uh, was in the Middle East, you know, it's, and that was like a battery that actually worked. And uh, they used that battery for electroplating and other purposes. But yes, I think that the pumped water of the Great Pyramid was used to power a large used certainly for irrigation to uh, irrigate above the floodplain so they could irrigate right. year-round right and yes used to make compressed air for industrial purposes and a whole host of other reasons that they use the uh, pumped water like uh, the Giza Plateau is more of a industrial park or a science center than uh, like a graveyard so uh, we think that the geniuses who built the Great Pyramid had a lot of purposes for uh, the pumped water. And I talk about that in my second book, which is uh, The Great Pyramid Prosperity Machine. So uh, the, the links to my books, and I produced two documentaries as well about the Great Pyramid water pump. All that information is on our website at thepump.org. Now, they, what, what do you think? Well, maybe I don't know if, it, if I'm. At what point do you think that this technology or this knowledge was lost? Was it because of, host, you know, wars with other nations that finally took them over? What do you think happened to the knowledge? Well, uh, I think that the Great Pyramid and most people that are alternative researchers think that it was built much earlier than traditional Egyptology thinks. Yes, I've heard of and, that. And. Uh, it might have been built before the last catastrophe. That catastrophe could be wars, like you yes. mentioned, mm -hmm. or uh, like a plague, or uh, something like the biblical flood, right. or ice age, or earthquakes. But something happened to the civilization that built the Great Pyramid, and the that high knowledge right. was lost to the sands of time so right it, it almost makes you think that the brain power of the was like wiped out almost everybody at the same time because usually when there's a process that ha that information is handed off to a younger you know an apprentice uh you know somebody coming in to fill in the shoes of whoever did that but when you see that you almost think okay this information or the people that held the knowledge was everybody was gone at the same time Yes, I think that it was a major catastrophe that destroyed the, uh, the civilization, similar to like the Mayans mm -hmm. and other civilizations that have faced a lot of the American Indians yes. that had a lot of high technology, the, uh, all kinds of things they had, mostly medicine, yes. uh, some high uh, technology in terms of medicine and other things. Uh, even brain surgery in in uh, South America. Right. But all of that information was lost uh, when uh, they were faced with the uh, Europeans. So, yeah, right. 
of the uh, the technology of the Great Pyramid was lost when that civilization uh, was uh, destroyed. High technology is actually rather fragile uh, when sure. a civilization is stressed. So yes. uh, I can understand how that uh, knowledge was lost. Well, you know what? Getting back to you know that theory that originally was proposed that this was a big giant tomb, you know. And, I'm, you know, especially as, of course, we're with the Internet and there's more alternative. Now you see these documents. I'm thinking every time I see some discovery of some tomb, whether it was Tutankhamun or somebody, it's very, it is anything but glamorous. <laughs> they tried very hard to keep their burial sites with their treasures hidden. They didn't want grave robbers. So the last thing they wanted was to put a big, like, neon sign. This is where I'm at. Yeah, so it to me, I always thought... Yeah, it might. I, I don't know enough about that, but all the burial sites that they've discovered are very caves or uh, very uh, ordinary looking places because, of course, it always seems like what they were hoping for was that they would be undisturbed and that no grave robbers were going to go and, you know, take take their things and, of course, disturb the bodies versus... Uh, that no that is correct, what you're saying. King Tut wasn't buried in a pyramid. Right. He was buried in a hole in the ground that mm -hmm. was hidden. Yes. So you are very correct. It doesn't make sense that the uh, Great Pyramid was built uh, to be a tomb. And if that's what they did, they were very ineffective in uh, protecting the, the pharaoh, if you will. Yes. I asked Egyptologists, uh, about the long open passages in the Great Pyramid, and they also had stones on pivots that acted like doors, if you will. And I ask, how do long open passages and doors on pivots protect the Pharaoh's treasure? And there's no coherent answer. So it's, it wasn't a tomb. It doesn't look like a tomb. The Egyptology its genesis is from tomb robbers back in the 17th and 18th century, and has an Egyptology kind of evolved from those people. And uh, if you if you're a tomb robber, everything you encounter is a tomb. Yeah. Just like if you're a if you're a hammer, the world is a nail. Yes. So they see the Great Pyramid and they just come up with a story that's um, well, the Pharaoh's mummy was stolen in ancient times before we could steal it so okay. uh, you know that's that's not science no no and let me ask you do you think as far as the sphinx are they are do you think they're that as far as the were they built at the same time because i've also heard a theory that the same thing that the sphinx that the actual date that the sphinx was made is much earlier than what was generally accepted Yes. Uh, not long ago, the traditional idea was that the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid were contemporaries of one another. Mm -hmm. But instead of an Egyptologist, a geologist looked at the Sphinx because it's rock. You can, a geologist can look at rocks. Uh -huh. And that geologist was uh, Robert Schock, uh, Dr. Robert Schock, who's a, who has a doctorate in geology mm -hmm. and a brilliant man. I'm sure you've seen him on TV, yes. but he looked at the weathering on the Sphinx, right. and his contention is that the Sphinx is much older, probably before the last Ice Age, when that area had much more water and rain. So uh, 
I think that the Great Pyramid is also much older than Egyptologists uh, say, for, because Egyptology can't get very much right. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I keep hearing that those dates of these, not only the Egyptians, but a lot of ancient civilizations is much earlier than was originally thought of. In other words, that man yes. has had uh, this type of technology, well, you know, like, you always think of these ancient civilizations, of course, of having, besides the technology of, you know, being beyond the Bronze Age, that this is, they, they hunter-gatherers and they started with writing. But I think it's earlier. It's what I'm seeing across the world. It's oh, earlier. Yeah. I agree. Very ancient times, um, mankind wasn't just uh, cavemen or anything like that. Ancient people were at least as smart as us, and in some instances much smarter, and had a very uh, deep understanding of physics and the world around them. So yes. they were able to make medicine. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Uh, probably had other high technologies with energy and other things that we don't even recognize. So yes, I agree. Right, that that uh, sometimes they and 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 I'm always wondering. Um, I, I know that there's a theory, of course, like you said, whether it's a flood or that there was some type of major catastrophe, which is like a demarcation as to why some civilizations lost their technology or were wiped out or they were dispersed. But it was something that, from what I understand, it wasn't just localized in a certain part of the earth. It was something that was felt worldwide, you know, more intense in other parts than others. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, the regular stuff that happens, you know, if you're warring with your neighbor, etc. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, oh, like when they burnt the, the, the library at Alexandria, which is that supposedly the repository of a lot of information that was there, some of it that I guess we'll never know. I mean, what, my point being that sometimes it just takes one act, doesn't even have to be a natural disaster for certain information That's, to be totally wiped out. Um, That's correct. You are correct. But there are some just hints of, of this ancient lost technologies that mankind uh, had uh, ancient maps that were copies of even older maps show Antarctica and other features of the New World before the Europeans knew about it and then of course uh, like I said brain surgery in South America 
They had a lot of uh, medical practices in the Valley of the Nile, including birth control, C-sections, and a whole host of other things. So, yes. Right, uh, and, and, and that's really interesting because that, that means that <laughs> if we're talking being able to go to lands, then that means we are crisscrossing with ideas. In other words, there's a trade of information and knowledge is what it is. Uh, if you're talking these ancient civilizations were able to cross the ocean, that's, for example, or what not any ocean, and I guess sometimes what? that accounts for maybe some, some, you see some cultures where there's like, not exactly, but they kind of share, like let's say you look at the pyramids that the Mayans and the Aztecs had. Um, you know, yes. Even though they might have served different purposes. Uh, That's true. But they, but they have some similarities that is very thought-provoking. That's, that's for darn sure. Well, and then you think, okay, what are the chances when you see the distance between one point and the other? Because oh, when you say pyramid, the word pyramid, the first place that comes to mind is Egypt. Uh, mm -hmm. And even though they're not the same exact pyramids, it makes you wonder, how was it that... And, you know, and I know that here, like in Mesoamerica, they look at the mound builders that, you know, they had different... Not everything was massive, in other words. Some were, some weren't. Some were used yes. as temples. Uh, but in your case, but it's, I'm thinking of the structure of how they made these things. And, and even the ones in the Incas, in, the, in the Peru, that they made them basically on the, on, on the mountaintops, on the cliffs. On, and I'm thinking, how did they do that? How did they construct yes. this? Right. So, so cultures, I think, in ancient times had high technology in terms of moving massive payloads and in communication and also in transportation between uh, different areas, different civilizations. And some of that is exhibited by the uh, Great Pyramid, that high technology of cutting stone to precision, moving large stones without any handling scars and that, that type of thing. And then, of course, why they would do all of that, and that's why I've written two books, the How the Great Pyramid Was Assembled, and also Why the Great Pyramid Was Assembled. Now, let me ask you something, because how did they, because when you look at, even though I haven't been there in person, I've never, you know, seen the, 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 the pyramid, but still, you look at it, how were they able to get those stones up the sides, especially as they were building it further up? I'm thinking that must, how, how were they able to lift those stones? And is it just sheer manpower? Is that what we're talking? Oh, no. No, it's beyond the scale of human back muscles to do. Right. Uh, it cannot, can't be done. But if you use water locks, uh, you can move these massive stones up a series of water locks in our video series. Uh -huh. depicts those water locks up the side of the Great Pyramid, if you will, kind of like right. a stair stepped. Yes. And then the Great Pyramid was built level by level, uh, you know, from the bottom up, including the casing stones. So, uh, again, that video series is very descriptive of with animations. Yeah, and uh, it will ex explain the whole process, even all the way up to the capstone. So uh, they supplied water with the uh, Great Pyramid 
subterranean passages acting like a water pump. And that water kept the water locks full and uh, it allowed stones on barges to move up effortlessly. Just like if you want to lift a battleship, all right. you've got to do is put it in the Panama Canal and move a few knobs. You know, you can't lift a battleship with your back muscles. Right. And uh, the, the ancient people, they use the muscle between their ears, <laughs> not, not their back muscles, to uh, right. make the Great Pyramid. That is, and let me ask you, I know you mentioned something about the Orion correlation theory. What is that? That's the idea that the Great Pyramid and other pyramids near it had some sort of a symbolic purpose uh-huh. about uh, like the vent vent of the Great Pyramid points to Orion, right. and then it's just uh, they uh, symbolically told us they knew pi or whatever, and there is um, esoteric knowledge right. in the measurements and dimensions of the Great Pyramid, but that knowledge never really helped anybody in any way. Okay. So it's sort of like, let's say us, or the United States, let's say, mm-hmm. let's spend $45 billion to make a big structure right. that symbolically tells people in the future that we knew pi. <laughs> right, exactly. If we, if we did that, yeah. that would be stupid. Yes, exactly. And the same reason ancient people didn't do that. The modern modern people just come up with these correlations and then just right. say that they're valid, but right. uh, there's certainly a lot of um, right. So what you're saying is criticism. the pyramids were strictly it was a practical project. There was no esoteric, you know, whatever. The whole idea no. behind it was strictly the practicality or or and or the need of the water. Water being what allowed them to flourish. I, I, I agree with that. Just like uh, the Hoover Dam allowed the desert to turn into a garden because it made electrons go through a wire, the Great Pyramid transformed the uh, desert into a garden. Yes. Because it was a water pump. But it also, the people that built the Great Pyramid had little kids that wanted to eat every day. Yes. Of the course. Great Pyramid provided prosperity for those people. Yes. So uh, the largest structure in the Valley of the Nile right now is the High Aswan Dam. Mm-hmm. And it it does the same thing in a different way that the Great Pyramid did. The High Aswan Dam provides prosperity because it provides energy. And we think the Great Pyramid ultimately provided energy. And the, the High Aswan Dam provides irrigation. So does the uh, the Great Pyramid in distant times. So it's the same type of a thing. Right. That and this that I, let me tell you that I think that is so fascinating. Flourish. This is so fascinating because I've heard so many <laughs> I was gonna say, I've heard so you know, throughout the years you hear uh, exactly like what you said, whether it's a tomb, uh, esoteric because of the shape of the pyramid, communications with aliens, uh line up with certain star systems i've heard all these theories but the one you're presenting makes so much sense so much i appreciate it it gives glory to the ancient builders and it acknowledges their genius and we at our foundation want to redevelop this unique 
and, and efficient and non-polluting water pumping system that the Great Pyramid was. You know, it's filled with passages and chambers, just like a V8 engine is filled with passages and chambers, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we want to redevelop this ancient pyramid technology to help to help us have an alternative way to make electricity. So, so that's kind of the purpose of our nonprofit foundation. Um, then, which would be, by the way, that would that sounds wonderful. It's um, is it is you know when I think of hydroelectric, I'm thinking of what you just mentioned of a dam where you know you dam the water and you make it run, yes. you know, and it and it, that's how it makes the electricity. Okay, but yes, the way they did it was it kind of the same idea as far as damming water and making it flow through a certain passage. Is that how they did it, or? No, they, the original builders supplied water that entered the Great Pyramid through the upper end of the descending passage. And then oh. it went to the subterranean chamber, oh. and that chamber acted similar to a hydraulic ram water pump, but much more sophisticated. And then ultimately the water went up into the Grand Gallery and then through the King's and Queen's chambers uh, through some valves that were like doors on pivots mm-hmm. that were described in ancient times but had been removed. And ultimately, the water went through the Great Pyramid water pump and then up to the King's Chamber vents. And out those vents, we think through the casing stones, they had uh, vents that went down and they had quite a bit of pressure because right. they started from quite high. Right. And then so. that powered machinery or or whatever so it's it's rather sophisticated it's hard to describe right so basically on, what you're talking about uh, is using gravity when like what you're saying is that the point of origin was of course at the top and then once it went down then that the pressure of that water is what and they just directed it in different ways how they needed it wow uh, correct and uh, my books and documentaries discuss all of that in detail you know people are trying to envision that but again, it's it's as hard to envision a V8 engine operating if you're not familiar with it. So even though hydroelectric dams, all hydroelectric dams have passages that point to stars, that doesn't <laughs> mean that that was, that was the intent of those uh, passages. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm you, know that, you. you know that, you know that you might... You're not very popular in some new age stores, okay, or bookshops. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people accept this Orion correlation theory like a religion. In fact, I know. and, and uh, I know. people get hot under the collar when you question how those correlations were validated or invalidated. So, yeah, I have I have a lot of fun time trying to talk to people sometimes. No, and again, I, I, I tell everybody, I mean, when you have a population that needs the manpower to, 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 to do whatever it needs, whether it's to fish, to hunt, to gather, to, yeah. to if you're going to pull people away from that, you must be using them for something that you need that's going to be productive. In other words, you would not pull your manpower out of all these other industries that your people mm-hmm. need to eat. Like you said, let's go with the basics. 
uh, just yes. so that they could uh, build a huge project for, like you said, they, they, back then people had to be more practical if they wanted to survive. And uh, like back oh, then yeah. they had famines, they had droughts, they had, they had to, those were the realities of living during those years. I mean, you, uh, you, you are could, correct. And I appreciate that, that uh, the, you think that the Great Pyramid served a purpose that justified the cost of building it. And yes. I think something pointing to something or telling us they knew pie or, or putting a pharaoh's body inside the Great Pyramid, all of those are very small returns on investment, if you will. Yes. But... Uh, uh, to, to provide uh, irrigation or to power machinery is a very big return on investment. Well, yeah, this is the thing, whether it was the pharaohs or any type of power structure, if your populace starts going hungry, you know your days are numbered. <laughs> yes. So uh, despite, you know, um, when you look at it, like, yes, they, they were pharaohs and they were considered deity, blah, 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 whatever. People wouldn't care, just like they didn't care to rob the graves, even though they were supposed to have carcasses. If your if your people are going crazy and they don't have anything to feed their children, but you pulled out men from the fields uh, to build a big rock of pile of stone, you're not going to be pharaoh of anything for long or whatever. <laughs> because that's correct. You know what? What mm -hmm. is it? I'm going to you know I'm going to die and my family's going to die. And, and and even the, the I'm saying even the let's say the upper echelons of let's say the Egyptian families the all these priests they're the first ones why would they uh, lose their their nice position uh, which they knew eventually they would the the people you know the, the all the common people uh, they're not going to give up their comfy situation or destroy civilization I mean they themselves have their own interest what even if they're selfish about it let's let's put it that way oh yeah of um of like you said if we're going to do this everybody's going to benefit and they're going to benefit and of course we're going to benefit as well uh right it would be a poor stewardship for leaders to make this pile of stones mm -hmm. that really didn't help anybody uh when john f kennedy was assassinated he was loved by you know billions had mm -hmm. very popular and all we did for him was put him in a grave and have an eternal flame we didn't build a big pyramid no. for him no yeah. so uh yeah the the idea of uh, being a tomb is incorrect and uh so uh they, you know and there's, they, a, there's a rebel let me uh, let me interrupt you real quick let me ask you uh, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, are there two other smaller pyramids? Would they have served the same purpose? There, there are uh, three fairly large pyramids on the Giza Plateau. And uh, one is almost as big as the Great Pyramid. Okay. And one is about a fourth. It's still big, but the other one is about a fourth. So there's three bigger pyramids, if you will, mm -hmm. and then uh, six or seven smaller pyramids that are quite small, if you will. Uh, you know, a couple of stories, if I can say say it that way, a couple of stories tall. Okay. But yeah, there's there's three big ones, but we but the focus of my research is specific to the Great Pyramid. But okay. but there are two others that could have been built 
thousands of years after the Great Pyramid. So there's no real okay. evidence to indicate they were built by the, even the same civilization, and they probably had different purposes. Okay. Right. Well, that's what I was curious to wonder where these were like, okay, like, uh, you know how you don't have pumping stations to help the things along, you know, if they, you know, to keep, you know, pushing the along yeah. or were they diverting water, you know, we'll use the big pyramid for this, for these bigs, but these smaller ones to, let's say, send water over to these fields because, you know, let that handle that. Uh I was just so wondering about that. They're all, they're all different in design, and they're different in the quality of workmanship. Oh, really? Yes, different in the uh, interior passages and chambers, and this is true all around the world. Some some are made out of just rubble, if mm -hmm. you will, and they, but the Great Pyramid stands out as being uh, quite precise and sophisticated. So anyway, the focus of my research is just specific to Great Pyramid, but I don't think the two other larger pyramids were water pumps on the Giza Plateau. They just happened to be built close to the close Great to Pyramid that. water pump. Okay. Have you ever come across any information as to the identity, if not the pharaoh, any chief engineer or somebody that would have been in charge of it, or is that information just totally lost? Well, there's the uh, Hemhotet, if you will, mm -hmm. that was supposedly the father of uh, medicine in Egypt and a uh, big shot. But he, according to Egyptologists, did not design or even see the Great Pyramid. He came before that, according to Egyptologists. But no, uh, who built the Great Pyramid is certainly under scholarly debate. And it's not the focus of my research. And even if you found out who built it, let's say a guy named Bob. It was Bob <laughs> that built it. Okay? No, really. Let's say, right. okay, now we know. Way back, it was a guy named Bob. Well, then the very next question is, well, how did he build it? And why right. would he do such a thing? So I, I don't really focus on who built it. So that's just uh, right. my own court. I was just thinking of, you know, how that sometimes they give these, if they ever identified how they would, of course, I'm, you know, because sometimes I think, is this a one man thing or was this a team? Like, you know, when people come up like a team of people, even maybe one guy takes the credit, but it's a team or, you know, sometimes they would give certain titles if you were the Pharaoh's official engineer, whatever, you know, as far as, um, you know, was it maybe even somebody that came from another land and was the one that had this bright idea of, okay, why don't we do this? Um, it, probably, probably it was a team of people, you know, somebody that's an expert in logistics, mm -hmm. another person that's a chemist that made right. the very strong bonding agent, mm -hmm. another person that understood uh, the uh, intricacies of how water flows and that type right. of thing. Yes. And then, uh, you know, another person, like a financial person, that would fund the construction. So I think it was a, certainly a, a group effort, right. uh, probably led by a political leader mm -hmm. that uh, was wise enough to know that he wanted to improve his civilization or garner additional power. Because if you have water in the desert, oh, you have wow. uh, yes, gold. It's yes. just like gold. And if you, uh, if you have food then uh, it's just like gold. So uh, 
that's uh, that's what I think. A group effort by geniuses who were able to uh, build the Great Pyramid. If each apologist were in charge of building the Great Pyramid, it would never be. Uh, it would have never been made because they they can't even make a single casing stone mm-hmm. of a Great Pyramid. So, just interesting. Do you, let me ask you, based on, on, on how long do you think, or is there any way to find out how long it would have taken them to build it using the method that you described? Well, the method that Egyptologists describe, now remember, Egyptology's been around for 200 years. Yes. They, they talk about the big, strong back muscles, <laughs> but they can't, they, they can't do it. So Egyptology would take infinity to build the Great Pyramid. <laughs> They'd still be working so, on it, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, but if you use water blocks, if when the Erie Canal was built here in the United States, mm-hmm. it was four and a half feet deep, and the barges had a capacity to carry a 70-ton payload, which is the weight of the heaviest stones of the Great Pyramid. And in the Erie Canal... They moved and lifted the weight of the Great Pyramid, about 6 million tons. Okay. They did that. They lifted it higher than the Great Pyramid because one end of the Erie Canal is quite a bit higher than the other end, you mm-hmm. know, because it goes from the Pacific all the way up to the Great Lakes. But anyway, uh, they they moved that weight in two years. So the uh, okay. water locks is very efficient very fast it's powerful and uh it would probably the the consensus is that if you if you you'd have to put a stone in place about one stone every two minutes okay in a in a 10-hour day it would take 20 years but i think it probably took around half of that 10 years because they were able to work 24 hours a day water locks all mm-hmm. over the world operate. So it takes about 10 years, maybe less. Okay. A lot of people's heads explode when, when they hear that. But again, uh, the method Egyptology. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by root metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one Best Network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Uh, suggests can't be done in a thousand years. So I would say around right. 10. Just right. like a lot of major uh, infrastructure projects, you know, yes. like major freeways, or hydroelectric dams don't yes. take much longer than 10 years. So, Right, right. And and this is because, um, and of course, the, 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 the population also was finite. They had only a certain amount of people. 
So there's only yes. a certain amount of people that you could use to work at once or in shifts. Let's say they, you know, the children couldn't work it, women couldn't work it because of the strength. So you only had X amount of people. So that also was limiting you as far as even right. if we wanted to, we don't have the people to go to, to do yeah. it faster. To, to lift a 70 ton stone up four and a half feet takes probably two people. Mm-hmm. You know, using water locks, you know, maybe maybe it takes 10 people. You know, you have a couple on the barge, you have a couple of people operating the water locks, and, uh, you know, the, the work is accomplished through buoyancy and uh, uh, water. So, um, yeah, it's it was it, it can't be done by uh, strong back muscles. It had to be done by, uh, you know, another method. Other people say, oh, aliens came from Orion, and then they stacked a pile of rocks on top of each other for no really apparent reason. So, uh, you know, it's just nonsensical. Do you think that part of their tech, like you were saying, it's not only the lifting part, it's how well or how closely these stones were cut. Do you think that part of their technology was develop tools in other words it wasn't just getting oh, yes. the stone there was shaping them a certain way oh yeah they had uh that's one of the my first book is titled lost technologies of the great pyramid and one of those technologies is uh how they were able to cut stone and they had some method that they could cut stone very precise and uh you know, on a on a large scale basis so they were able to cut stones they were able to move stones and uh, create the Great Pyramid. So it was uh, a marvelous project that had a big return on investment, and it was uh, envisioned and built by geniuses in ancient times. Mm, do you? And, and I'm thinking, because sometimes usually when these projects are built, let, let's say they're completed and they're actually working, you see, uh, and I'm thinking as far as trying to figure out exactly when when this was done. You know, there's usually sometimes a population explosion because there's more food. In other words, now that it's done, and they're reaping the benefits of it. Uh, you know, sometimes this this is when civilizations flourish. In other words, they're doing okay. Not that they're doing bad, but they flourish. They sometimes their population goes up, or they're even able to conquer you know surrounding areas have you seen anything that you think this is an earlier time period that corresponds with this type of growth for the egyptians that you say this is a possibility when this was completed uh it's hard to make a correlation between uh population growth mm -hmm. and the uh benefits of the great pyramid because i think it was built so far back that the evidence for population growth Nothing like or a spurt if is is hard to find, but uh, you know uh, that's true of all technologies, including the High Aswan Dam. They built a High Aswan Dam, and there was electricity and yes. irrigation, and it helped the population in Egypt boom, if you will, yes. and it's still booming. Right. So yes, you are correct. There's a correlation between that, but the evidence for that. Is, Since it's before at right. least one catastrophe, is hard to come up with. 
Right, because I'm thinking of, and not only in the sense of population, but if you have more people, you have more soldiers, you can, you're, you're more prosperous. Uh, maybe uh, things that had to be done manually now were being handled by this pump, so you have more time, you know, either for the flourishing of the culture itself or even making war. Because now you have soldiers, you have time to go and conquer those around you. You, know, you see all these oh. sometimes. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Instead of having everyone being a farmer, right. you can, uh, you know, with buckets tr or uh, trying to irrigate, mm -hmm. you can have fewer farmers and more soldiers, that's for sure. Yes. The uh, Las Vegas was just a white spot in the road, yes. but they built the Hooper Dam. And then Las Vegas could bloom and blossom, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, because they had cheap electricity and yes. uh, water pumped into the desert from the using the electricity from the dam. So, yes, that's that's the purpose of infrastructure, be it the uh, electrical power grid or the highway system. Right. It's an investment that uh, produces high dividends. And that's what the Great Pyramid was, was right. infrastructure to uh, improve and enrich the civilization. Right, and, and in other words, because uh, I hate to say most most of the, there was what they call empire building in those times. It was uh, not only defending your civilization or your city, you they were always looking to go elsewhere and conquer surrounding areas for whatever reason. And exactly like what you described, Stephen, if now you don't need as many farmers or you could pull some of your guys and make them into soldiers and have a, a very powerful army. Right. But it's not just that. But the, instead of just people being farmers they can be philosophers oh, yes. they can be artisans uh entertainers they can be scientists or engineers so yes it's uh it was uh, the great pyramid was a prosperity machine and my second book is titled the great pyramid prosperity machine and you can get all that information about my books from my website at thepump.org and there you'll find, and then you can contact us through that website. Now, and, you know, I, I'm glad you point out, because some people think, you know, they look at the pantheon of all these gods that the Egyptians believed in, and, and, and I kind of see where they want to look at every little aspect of Egyptian life that we have record on as being tied into some type of, you know, uh, worship of the gods or placating the gods or whatever. And, to, and I'm you're pointing something out, which is like whatever, regardless of that they had all these different gods, this was strictly a, a practical thing that was being done. Because I know that that a lot that angle where, like you said, some people put the theory whether it's because it's the shape of the pyramid or that there's some very esoteric or something having to do with the the practice, their the religious beliefs, that kind of thing. Exactly like what you said, we built it just even though it's a if that was the the purpose of it, yes, we built we spent years and a lot of uh sweat and probably a lot of dead workers along the way just to have a structure to make maybe uh an esoteric statement and... well there's yeah, there's ideas that they say, oh, the great pyramid is kind of like 
the rays of the sun coming down from the sun and it's spreading down on the ground and then they make all this stuff up about everything they find has a religious purpose right, or whatever right. but it's if you just if you try to understand how the great pyramid was built you can peel away all of that you don't have to think about gods because the right. gods didn't make the great pyramid right. and the language didn't do it and yes. all of that so you don't have to think about gods or language or what they wore right. or a king's list it's all very technical like if you want to understand how the high Aswan dam works or was built you don't have to learn russian right you know, exactly. because the russians built it and you don't have to learn the uh, czar's list, if you will, or the uh, the leaders of Russia, a list of that. You don't have, you know, you can you can peel away all of that, and it's very refreshing to understand how this structure was built, and that's fair enough. So, so yeah, uh, a lot of people put some religious purpose to everything that they find, but that's certainly not the case in my mind. Let me ask you, what, is the technology similar to what you hear about that they either, whether it was the Roman aqueducts or what they did with the Babylonian with the hanging gardens, is it a similar type of technology as far as the way the water flows? Is that what we're talking about or something different? Well, water certainly obeys the laws of physics yes. from ancient times to now. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. we... <laughs> Gravity's still the same. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, there's nothing magical about the hanging gardens right. or water lots. But I think that what was lost was the understanding that the water lots and barges were a key element to building the Great Pyramid. Many of the uh, quarries are across the river. Right. So all researchers and Egyptologists acknowledge that barges were used to move the stones at least across the river. Right. So I, uh, you know, we take that a step farther and contend that water was made available at the building site, mm -hmm. you know, up on the Giza Plateau, and that that water supplied water locks all the way up, and then the pump pumped water uh, that was below the Great Pyramid right. up, and, and that process continued, and they built the Great Pyramid uh, with ease, so that's uh, the contention you, of our research. Was and I, I Tapagaf, I, I like I said, I don't know the topography per se, but when you say the Giza Plateau, do you, was that site chosen because it was flatter, or do you think there's a there's some other reason why they chose that site? They chose it because that's what the gods told them to do. No, I'm just. Kidding. I was gonna go what? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, they 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 chose that because it it fit their. Uh, wants, needs, and desires. The Giza Plateau happens to be solid bedrock. Okay. There's no sand, if you will. Oh. It's built right on the solid bedrock, just like hydroelectric dams. Mm -hmm. They dig down to the solid granite or bedrock, and uh, then they, they clean that solid bedrock with dental tools and then build a dam. They use that precision not because it's... Um, you know, uh, not because to placate the gods or because it's symbolic. They use that precision building hydroelectric dams right. because of uh, technical reasons. But anyway, that's one reason why they built the Great Pyramid where it was built. And I think that they supplied water to the Giza Plateau 
and it pumps water up higher than uh, the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid isn't like on the top of a mountain. The right. the area yes. the area that would be west of the Great Pyramid is a slope that slopes up higher. Okay. And I think that area was supplied with water. Mm. Just like any pump, it's halfway between the supply mm-hmm. and where the water ends up. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it, 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 and you know, you know, hearing what you're saying, it makes you wonder at what point that a bunch of Egyptians sit down and say, we got to come up with, you know, you know, that makes you think a team because I'm absolutely, I, I agree with you. This was not with just one person. These were several that had to yeah. sit there oh, yeah. and brainstorm this mm-hmm. idea. Similar things have happened before. Uh, in eastern Washington, we have the largest structure in North America, the uh, Grand Coulee Dam. Mm-hmm. It was the biggest structure in the world when built. It's on the Columbia River. I know you're clear over there on the east yes, coast. Yes, I'm but, all the way over here. But this great big dam, it's in the middle of the desert. But okay. people got together, you know, leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roosevelt was one of them. And he says, how are we going to fund this? You know, how right. are we going to... How are we going to irrigate a million acres in perpetuity, which mm-hmm. is what the uh, High Aswan Dam does? Right. You know, the farmers in central Washington are unique in that they have the right amount of water every year. They never have a drought, and they never have too much. Yes. So uh, wow. apples that you've ate have yes. been Washington irrigated apples. using a hydroelectric dam. So anyway, uh, they had the leader that says, well, this is how we're going to fund it. We're going to... kind of go into debt, and then we're going to pay for that debt with the electricity the dam makes. And then other guys say, well, it's going to take, you know, 40,000 workers, but I know how to to, uh, run the logistics. And other people say, well, I can supply the uh, cement and the concrete and all of that. So uh, it all comes together. And they made the Grand Coulee Dam, and it uh, is is a marvel. So, uh, and then that same kind of thing happened in, with the Aswan Dam, if you will. You know, the uh, Egyptian leaders say we got we got people that are hungry. Yes. You know, we got people that need electricity, and the Soviet Union came in and helped fund that, and they paid for it by the uh, money they generated from the uh, canal. Mm-hmm. What's that canal over there? The Suez? Uh, the uh, the oh. Suez, yes. Thank you. Yeah, the Suez Canal helped pay back the, the money for um, the High Aswan Dam. And all these leaders and all these experts and scientists got together, and they, uh, they accomplished great things. And that was simply how it happened back in ancient times. You know, they didn't just draw on caves or pull their <laughs> wives around by the hair. You know, they were very sophisticated yeah. yes. back in the day. And you know what I'm going to say, and, and I'm not, and this is, um, but as, looking at it from an individual perspective as a micro farmer, and I'm not even talking about the hydroelectrical part, what you described as far as the Washington farmers being able to say, I know that I have water for my crops. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to fear a drought or too much water, which is just as bad for farming. Mm-hmm. I understand. I, I have how important it is water, access to water. Here, of course, we were so flat, you know. But what I'm saying is 
I understand it on the, from an individual point of view how important that is. Yes. Multiplied by yeah. hundreds or thousands, depending, of course, on the acreage or how many farmers or if we're talking, you know, millions of acres. <laughs> that is critical. Absolutely critical. Yeah, what a, the, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, they also built dams along the Columbia River. Mm-hmm. And in the 30s, you know, to the public works and all of that. Right, right. And uh, they use that electricity to generate or to uh, make uh, aluminum. Really? And that aluminum, there was a big aluminum industry in the Pacific Northwest along the Columbia River. Mm-hmm. And uh, that aluminum was used in World War II wow. to make airplanes, and it helped us win the war. So that's that's a wonderful right. when story. You, when you follow things back to the point of origin, not just the finished product, there is a very interesting story be, behind a lot of these things, as far as right, right. And then one of the, some of the things we did was we would bomb Germany's dams, which yeah. would uh, hurt their war effort. So all of these things, like building a dam, is a big expense. But it has a big return on investment, just like the Great Pyramid did. So that's that's the type of research we're doing. And we're trying to redevelop that ancient high technology for our modern but very troubled world. Right. In other words, you you understand the needs of 10,000 years ago are still the same needs as far as basic needs. Yes, people are the same way back then as they are now it's not like oh they were primitive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of people say oh well they thought differently so they built this great pyramid for symbolic purposes oh my lord that's <laughs> i think that's incorrect of course of course to me it makes so much more sense that uh, people don't realize i guess because now we have more how you want to say time to burn sometimes because of technology we have more leisure time but back then, yes. it wasn't the same, you know, uh, as far as leisure. Yes, I'm sure people weren't constantly working, but it's not the same as now because your survival depended on it. Right. We are inundated. The, the Western world is inundated by the prosperity provided right. by our infrastructure. So we don't we don't even acknowledge it. You know, like a fish doesn't really describe the water it's in because it's it's habituated to it, if you will. But uh, if you go to Central Africa or other places, they uh, they want some sort of infrastructure so they can have electricity or uh, water and that type of thing. And and that's that's what we want to do is uh, provide this infrastructure and make it available yes. for for places like that. You don't need a large pyramid. Mm-hmm. You can use just uh, polypropylene containers and some customized valves, and we're trying to develop that so it could be uh, built in cottage industries around the right. world using uh, barrels that you find drones, that type of thing. So that's that's what we're working on. Funding has been difficult. Mm-hmm. We're right now uh, on a uh, we have a crowdfunding effort for okay. a 3D printer. Okay. And uh, so hopefully people can get involved in that or find out what, we, uh, what we're all about at our website at thepump.org. Let me ask something, Stephen. Are we talking here something 
that would be used on an individual basis, on a household basis, is what you're discussing, or, or, or are we talking bigger? I think it would be a possibly a household basis. Mm-hmm. You know, have a fairly small footprint in the backyard with these passages and chambers built out of PVC pipe and polypropylene right. containers. Right. Or even have it like a like a, a co-op or a neighborhood right. setup. Yes. Yes. People could uh, pump water up, but mm-hmm. use that pumped water to generate electricity. You know, everything in the world either is electricity or matter. Yes. So there is no energy crisis. You, energy can neither be destroyed or created. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can be, uh, you know, energy can become matter and matter energy and all of that. So there cannot be an energy crisis. The crisis is that uh, the type of energy systems we use. You know, we have to pay money for gasoline. Right. But the oil industry has caused so much geopolitical problems, oh, God, and yeah. also, and also pollution mm-hmm. down there in the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. That it's it's a horrible. Why yes. why would you do that right. when the ancient ancient builders of the Great Pyramid generated all the energy they needed and didn't have to write a check every month, if you will? Right. So, so we're we're talking what, here a pump that basically is. You don't need fuel, is what you're saying. It's you know besides either electricity or gasoline. Is that what we're talking here, as far as to pump the water? Well, the pump it uses electrolysis. Okay. It in in a very efficient way to to produce a vacuum, uh-huh. and that vacuum in the grand gallery would lift a water piston up, if you will. Yes. And okay. that water piston, when it moved back down, ultimately would make some of the water go up higher than the water piston, kind of like a hydraulic ram water pump, only different. It's kind of technical. No, let me, build- I, I, and, and let me, because I have one of my pumps, I, I insisted, I have a hand pump. You know those old time hand pumps for water that you I pump, do. pump, pump, and you don't need, you don't need electricity or fuel. I have one back there in my yard because I, I insisted I want one of these because for practical purposes, is that kind of, I mean, not exactly, but is that, the kind of like where you have the the, the pressure come up um yes okay okay right when when you move the handle down mm-hmm. it lifts the piston up right. and that creates a uh, a lower pressure or okay. a vacuum if you will okay. which draws water up mm-hmm. into that and then the valves automatically open and close so when you lift the handle up yes that pushes the water in the piston out okay so so it's very similar to that that's that's a good analogy okay but it uses electrolysis Mm -hmm. instead of muscle power exactly yeah believe me i i I can yeah you'll grow muscles if you do that for a bit i guarantee you yes (laughs) right it takes a lot of energy to remove water and uh, if we can do it in an efficient manner it will really help. We're trying to have an alternative to hydroelectric power, mm-hmm. which has some adverse environmental impact. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, back near where you live, they have uh, gas-fired uh, plants to generate electricity and also yes. nuclear. So uh, the world needs another alternative. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. 
proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. To the generation of electricity. That would be, if something like that would be, especially what you're talking about at a household level that you could have water for your, for whatever, for drinking, for whatever you need it like that, that, uh, that would be, wow. That would be great. Wouldn't that would be fun, but I think it would be this, the technology, something that they had way back when. They use just a large scale, yes, which right. I talk about in my book. Right. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really exciting. Funding has been a struggle because the uh, research is so controversial. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we are we hope to get like a uh, I don't know what they call them a angel funder or whatever right. yes. that like uh, the amazon.com or whatever for right. a, what they call a hail mary you know a, yes a, a research project that has high potential mm-hmm. uh, but right. maybe uh you know the percentages might not be there in their vision but that's that's what we're looking for to uh to really get this off the ground Custom fabrication on a fairly large scale is kind of expensive. We have a facility, but uh, like I say, it's uh, the funding is an issue. Sure, I understand. I understand. Absolutely, I understand. Well, Stephen, it has been absolutely wonderful. And this is so fascinating. I mean, you've opened... These are things some, that I've never heard of. Honestly, I had never heard of what you're proposing, which, by the way, makes so much sense because... I'm absolutely a believer in what you described because I think that we kind of like, we don't realize how thousands of years ago life and survival was so much, so important that it makes so much more sense that something, a project of this nature would have been done towards, in pursuit of that versus anything else. Um, Well, well, I I appreciate your, your kind words. And many people have become familiar with this direction of research, say mm-hmm. that it's compelling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And uh, it really um, hits a chord with people, and they, they like uh, what, what we're doing. And if people want to become involved, they can yes. contact us through our website yes. and uh, ask yes. questions, find out what we're doing. We're also going back to Egypt. Uh, I'm a featured speaker on a tour that'll be next year. There's information about that. We got a whole oh, bunch of okay, other stuff perfect. going on. <clears throat> so they could just yeah, go to the bump.org and you're going to have information not only about your, your documentaries, the books also about the trip to Egypt. That's correct. And, okay. uh, they can find out everything about it. And I hope you, uh, sign up and you can go Absolutely. there with us. God, I would love to, I just, you know what? Even micro farmers, I have not only, I, <laughs> my children are grown up, so I got chickens in their places. I mean, as far as responsibility, but I would love to. I've never gone there, and I would love to go there. So you never know, maybe one of these days, you'll, you'll, you'll get something from me, and, and, and I'll, I'll get some reliable person to babysit my farm for me for, for a bit. But, well, uh, keep us in mind, yes. it's early no, early November of next year, 2020, okay. planned way ahead. Yeah, that's And it, it's, it's even going to Egypt, 
there's nothing like it. It's even worth going in debt for. So that's that's what I tell people. Okay, yes. And uh, just think about it. What you see it. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much. It has been absolutely wonderful. Oh, thank you for having me. I was honored to be on your show. It was my pleasure. Take care. Bye now. Bye. -bye. Okay. Talk about stuff to think about. <clears throat> you know what? And I'm sure a lot of you have either whether it's documentaries, uh, stuff that they have on TV now, a lot of different sources. You know, for once, we're getting not only with Egyptology, we're, we're getting people to challenge the status quo of accepted explanations that we have, especially when we're talking things about ancient civilizations, as in there's nobody alive <laughs> to dispute it or set the record straight. And in some cases, records, if there was, if there was ever any type of <clears throat> written record, they've been lost to time. They've been destroyed, lost to time. Fragments exist. So um, academics at some point put a theory together. And somehow the theory becomes fact. Because let's face it, a theory is only a theory. You, you have to base on some, you know, you have to arrive at the theory somehow, but <clears throat> it always leaves, it's, it's more fluid in other words. Uh, but like I said, some things, and in this case, I'm sure most people, at least me, I, I always originally heard that the pyramids were a huge tomb, like the Taj Mahal, built strictly for the, the Pharaoh because if you were a Pharaoh, you needed, you know, you want to be remembered. You wanted your name to be known through the ages. Uh, and when you hear that, it makes sense. It's like, well, why not? But then as you understand a little bit more about the ancient world and what life truly was like, uh, and again, these people that lived, that their, their, their source of survival was the river, the Nile. Um, in other words, water, <laughs> like in all things, but especially if you live in a desert area, you think, it, to me, it makes perfect sense that if you are going to take your manpower out of the fields or out of anything that they do, whether they're an artisan, a blacksmith, uh, whatever, to do something, it makes so much more sense that they would do it for something that's going to benefit. In, in other words, but this is not a benefit as a superfluous, oh, we're going to widen the road kind of deal. <laughs> There's a road there, but we're going to widen it. No. This would have been a project that was so necessary for the infrastructure to make everything so much better, which of course is water. That theory that he's proposed with the water locks, as far as buoyancy, yeah, because I myself, like I said, I'm not an engineer. I have zero idea as far as engineering. I've, I look at that and I'm thinking, how did they do this? How did they get these stones there and then up? How did, they, I mean, to me, it's like, wow, you know, without any of the, of the, of the, even the cranes, all the things that you see now that are used, let's say, for example, to build skyscrapers or any type of large. And 
this makes sense as far I mean I haven't seen the exact documentary but what he's explaining to me as far as the use of water that water is what has the power to basically move something that weighs so much case in point if you look at you know cruise ships and all these things that weigh tons 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 of you know of, of weight uh, how they're supposed they stay afloat and um, basically it's using the power of water and as he said that maybe then afterwards uh, they use gravity or the force of gravity to go flow downward and then of course channel it or use it to go this way or that way or, or maybe you know maybe like exactly like what people do now you know like narrow the stream so just like when you put your finger over the end of a hose and you make the water spurt out because you've basically made the opening smaller you know they, they could have done a lot of things w once that water flowed in downward to me that makes sense plus like I said in lately you've heard all these theories and I've heard different ones which was now there was always a big question mark about the the pyramid like what was it really for in other words the the tomb theory is kind of like gone and of course everybody was like how then what was the purpose why did they take the trouble to build a structure like this in ancient times and now, of course, I've heard the esoteric version, which is alien contact, uh, something having to do with maybe lining up of certain star systems. But again, I'm not saying no, but to me, something as practical as water and using water for hydroelectric or for other purposes makes much more sense as to why they would undertake a project like this to begin with. And I'm sure most people, when they listen to this, they've they've seen either one or various shows that just about the discovery of all these different tombs of different pharaohs during different dynasties, which is time periods, they're always in the most nondescript, hidden, unknown caves or holes because they were so scared of being robbed that they took the trouble. The last thing they wanted was to have grave robbers know where they were stored. Because let's face it, once they're dead, they're dead. And even if, let's say, they kind of understood that even the people that maybe, maybe you were a pharaoh or a priest or somebody high up the food chain and you left your family or certain guards to guard your tomb to make sure that it wasn't robbed. Guess what? Eventually they would die off. I mean, and it was, it would be only a matter of time before it got robbed. So they kind of knew human nature. In other words, these grave robbers didn't care about uh, fear of the curse of anybody. You know, they, they knew they were going to get robbed. So you see these discoveries of all these tombs in these very, like they, I don't know if you've seen them they're like just little caves or little rooms like dug into the rock or yeah they're rooms sometimes like well Tutankhamun but still again they did not want it really known where they lay and I mean I've even heard that 
in the pyramid it was like uh it was like oh we're gonna pretend that the tomb is here but it's not really there and we're gonna put it somewhere in there else in there but that's not it still again you know the i wasn't kidding most uh despite the 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 pharaohs uh, well being you know supposedly deities or quasi deities or anything your people your population or your what i call the serving classes the you know the people that go and if they're starving and their children are starving that deity uh thing that you got going on they're not going to care they're not okay so believe me i think that unless it was some type of natural disaster where a famine occurred where it was plain that the leaders did not cause it by involving them in a long-term project for no other reason than to build a pyramid-shaped thing uh people would not have gone along for it and they would never have exposed their ruler to be rulers of this land and then have it all fall apart because they didn't let's say store enough grain or they did, but all of a sudden they have a bad year and they have no extra grain put away. And their people are starving. I mean, they, they'll have, they'll be what, an empty kingdom to rule over? <laughs> so again, the, the, the practical approach that he's talking about to me makes more sense. Plus, he's describing a lot of technology, which I'm very interested in, which again, a lot of people for once that are starting to question the status quo as far as explanation goes these theories that were accepted blindly is okay so what other technologies that they have if they did if like i said they had a bunch of guys or whatever sit down and brainstorm how are we going to do this oh we need this and come up with this idea well, what else did they come up with using that same methodology? No, we need to do this. We need to be able to light our way in there in dark passages. Because it's so deep into these passages that no in outside light. And, and from what I understand, if I remember correctly, inside the pyramid, there's no sign of like torches, like smoking from a fire to explain how they were able to work in there. A lot of these uh, interior passages, they they've got they're, in, they're they're painted or they were, but in other words, that there was artists and carvings and all these things or you know writings deep inside. How how did they have the light to do this? This was without knowing the exact time. This was not like oh, it's a one day thing. Um, this to me is. And, and I agree with him. I think that a lot of times in these ancient civilizations, people say, well, they were very intelligent or they were very advanced or they developed, let's say, let's say the astronomy or they developed um, certain uh, writing, whatever, you know, when like, for example, when the Rosetta Stone, they used the Rosetta Stone to translate the, the how the Egyptians were writing, what their symbols meant. But they kind of stopped there. In other words, that if they had developed the language and a way of writing 
and had a pantheon of gods and uh, had some type of structure that was a that oh for ancient for ancient man that was boy they were really advanced and i'm thinking maybe maybe there were more than that maybe besides developing a form of writing and record keeping and uh some type of government structure maybe their technology was there that it was lost sure of course that happens how uh, again that, that that it could have been anything like he said you have uh, a natural disaster wipes out all your brain power okay remember something like this if you were the, the the majority of people that worked on it were just being told follow these instructions you put that there they put that there hey we need to haul up the stone but the ones that the people that actually knew the design and what should come next was probably a very very small amount of people now think about it you have some type of natural disaster that wipes away all your brain power uh not a natural disaster something like a plague Okay. A plague does not differentiate between the brains, you know, the workers, the head honchos, or the chiefs of the Indians, however you want to look at it. You know, you have a, a plague that wipes out a good portion and maybe, um, maybe a lot of the people that knew how to do it. Or, um, you know, how you, sometimes you have a team of people and this person knows how to do this part of the project. And this other person is the other one. And I mean, they all understand how it works. And they kind of all understand what the other one, but they all have their specialty. And without that part, then nothing works. Now, can you imagine, let's say you have a team of 10 people that each contributed something to building the technology of how they were able to build the pyramids. And you have a big plague. And six or seven of the people on those team are gone. And the other three are like, we understand it, but more than half of our ideas or methods are gone. I could teach somebody, but that's it. We just lost the person and maybe his apprentice. I mean, it could be a variety of reasons whether they wrote it. <coughs> you know what? Because a lot of people say, well, if they're so smart, why wouldn't they have left some type of written record as in instruction manuals or could be a, well, maybe this is something they want to keep secret. And people will say, but why? Because let's face it, sometimes, like he said, this was a way, if you were able to be powerful enough to direct water and make electricity, or do this was a very that you had a lot of power if you had that knowledge so maybe they wanted to keep it secret too secret sometimes when people do that they never foresee when they're gonna there's gonna be a natural disaster just like when people now that they don't prepare or they don't put stuff away or because they don't think something bad's gonna happen well back then of course there was no way of you know hey, we better write this down because uh, two years from now, there's going to be a huge famine and, you know, and disease is going to come hot on its trails and then we're going to be wiped out. Or there's a big natural disaster going to happen and if we don't write this down now, that's it, man. We're out of luck. Back then, sometimes they didn't anticipate these things.
and they wanted to keep it secret because it was very powerful knowledge you know something so valuable that even in other words they would hand pick the people that they would pass it on to because it was like no this we, we just in other words we're not gonna have everybody know how to do this so sometimes yeah that that that's also a good way to sabotage as far as a, a knowledge base is too much secrecy and not enough people that can carry on the work if the original person for some reason is gone that's happened that's happened throughout history and other things things that now people look back and they they can't figure out even now how, how it was done i mean besides the the building of the pyramids but and what he said was something along the lines of being able to use the power of water on an individual basis. Wow. Let me tell you something. I, again, I understand very well the value of water. A lot. A lot. Not only for personal use as far as for bathing or cooking, but even for growing of crops. All right. And like I said, I have a micro farm. I have, I have maybe a hundred and something trees, but yeah, it's necessary. It's necessary for everything, not only for, for your animals, uh, for your trees. Um, because let me tell you something. There is, <clears throat> with plants or trees or whatever, well, the, the, the older they are, the more resistant. But there comes a point that if they suffer from a lack of water sometimes, even if you water them, you can't bring them back. Sometimes something happens, especially when they're younger trees, that you they kind of like dry up and you can water them and that's it they're gone so i mean all those things um that he was talking about i i i'm gonna check it out and i urge everybody to to go to his uh, website thepump.org and check out his videos his books and also what he's talking about which i think personally is fascinating not only from the perspective of how it explains how the ancient egyptians were able to build it but using that technology in present time without the use of any type of fuel to basically circulate water. Wow. Even without human muscle, like I said, that hand pump I have out back, it's great, the water's wonderful, but it's hard work because I've filled a lot of buckets sometimes watering some of my plants when the winter comes around, even though I have, I have hosing and stuff, but other times I just need to water them a little bit. It's a lot of work, manpower. A lot of work so again guys i hope you uh like this presentation i know i love to speak to steven uh i enjoy listening and learning about new theories especially about i'm telling you i, I love i love when the status quo when we shake it when it's like by this i'm not saying there's a lot of um, explanations that are given about different areas which are legitimate it is what what the way it's been explained the way the academics have said it it's factual and it's accurate I'm not gonna say that across you know not everything is questionable but at the same time I think that there's a lot of things the same as what he described and I love it because it's like I want to know the truth you know uh, or maybe um, when they proposed it originally, it made sense. But now knowing what we know, they should amend it, but it never gets amended because it's 
again, and I've said this before, there's too many egos in the way or, well, you know what, this could lead to other things. And as in, well, if we question this or we amend it and make it say, well, it's this, well, how many other things? People start asking, well, you know what, how many other things are there that maybe for a century or more, or maybe hundreds of years, everybody thought it's that way, but that's not really the way it is at all. Or, uh, it is, but not really fully. Yeah, I, I, I love, I love hearing theories like what he proposed. So guys, take care. And again, I want to thank you for being part of my audience and spending this time with me. Take care. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.